Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. It's episode 321 with Nancy Burkoff. Did I say it correctly? Correct. You sure did. Awesome. I'm so excited. Nancy's here. And I just want to give a little add out to um, Soberlink. We all need to talk about alcohol recovery in the workplace. Talking about sobriety and proving it to your employer can be so difficult. And our friends at Soberlink want to help. If you need a reliable way to present documented proof of sobriety to a boss or loved one, Soberlink can help. Soberlink is a high-tech portable breathalyzer system that uses facial recognition technology to identify Verify identity, it has unique sensors to ensure that no other air sources are being used and sends results directly to your specified contact. So there's no questioning whether or not you took the test and whether or not you altered the reporting. This is why Soberlink's remote alcohol monitoring system is considered the gold standard. Being in recovery from alcohol does not define the future of your career. Let Soberlink help help. Learn more about Soberlink and request a $50 promo code by visiting www.soberlink.com slash BLS for busy living sober. Thanks so much, Soberlink. Nancy, okay, everybody that's out there, Nancy was so kind to reach out to me and had me quoted in her article that was just out actually one week ago today on November 1st in the Washington Post. Hi, Nance. I'm going to call you. I'm busy. And you look so cute. Hey. Love your glasses. Thank you. And thanks for willing to be interviewed for that article. I, um, I felt like it was really important. It took me a long time to actually write it and to also pitch that story to the Washington Post. Um, but I really wanted people to have a guide to hosting sober friends at their parties and their events. Because a lot of people don't talk about that. We talk about like, are you a vegan? Do you have food sensitivities? But nobody really asks, do you have alcohol restrictions? Do you have something you prefer to drink? And so I just wanted to open that conversation up in the media. So I did. And you gave some great ideas that hosts can use for um, hosting a sober friendly event. And well, thank you again for asking me. And I, I wanted to ask you, was it, how was it for you to come out and tell people that you were sober? How did you, how did you handle that? Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I'm a, I'm a writer and I've been a writer for 30 years for newspapers around the world. And when I quit drinking, which was in 2014, March 28th, 2014, I was living in Abu Dhabi in the Arabian desert. And I just decided one day after visiting a doctor and my liver was swollen, I weighed 50 pounds more than this. My blood pressure was sky high. I was just like, that's it. I have to stop right now. And I called my husband at his work and he came and picked me up and I said, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I'm stopping drinking today. So he was like, okay, good. Uh, what do we want to do? And I said, I'm going to just do it on my own because I don't know where to go here. Um, and I did what I always do when I have a problem. I sorted out by writing. So I started writing blog posts People started paying attention. People were sending me support across the world. And then when I got home, 
we got back to the US from Abu Dhabi. That was like six months later. I just sat down and wrote in six weeks my memoir called Dry Land, which is about going dry in the desert. And uh, Amazon um, Grand Harbor Publishing bought it. It's a publishing arm of Amazon. Gave me a pretty good advance and it's still selling. I still get a residual every month. So sort of once I made, so before I got sober, I was embarrassed. We've talked about that. I was ashamed of being an alcoholic and I knew I was, and I felt like other people knew, but I didn't want to admit it. But once I admitted it, I freaking wrote a whole book about it. And now I talk about it all the time and I'd write about it in the Washington Post and I, I talk about it openly with everyone. So once I crossed that threshold, I was just all, all in, um, in terms of being sober and talking about it. And not to take away from your book, because I do want people to go out there and buy your book, but what <laughs> was, but tell us a little bit about your story. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Florida and I was, a uh, big swimmer. I swam club team. I swam high school. I was Florida state champion. And then I went to university of South Florida on scholarship and I swam there. And we were division two national champions, my junior year. And then my senior year, and I was a 17 time all American, about eight national records. And then my senior year, I qualified for the Olympic trials for the Seoul 1988 games. Um, but I had a shoulder injury. Trials were still a year and a half away. I graduated from college back in 1987. You were considered old once you were done with college. Like swimmers didn't have post-college careers. So I knew I had to reinvent myself because you know athletics can become your whole identity. So I joined the Peace Corps and I went to Kenya and I was a Peace Corps volunteer in rural Kenya which was part of my reinvention. The other half was to become global party girl. So if there was a cool party happening in Mombasa, Dar es Salaam, Nairobi, you name it, I was there <laughs> drinking too much and doing God knows what. Um, and that just continued throughout my life. The only time I ever stopped drinking was when I was pregnant with my son, David. I did not drink during the pregnancy. And for the first month, that was pretty hard. Uh, and I realized I had a problem, but once he was born, I went back to drinking. Um, and then with my husband and David, we lived in Singapore. We lived in Abu Dhabi. We also lived in um, Dubai later on. And we traveled a lot, but it was something about the desert. And in fact, the night that I realized I'm gonna to have to quit drinking, the three of us were sitting on this Bedouin blanket overlooking the empty quarter in, that covers most of Saudi Arabia, which is the world's largest continuous desert. And I just was looking out at all that expanse, this former swimmer, this former water person, looking out at that expanse of desert. And I just thought, I, I need to go dry. Like the, the desert was just telling me. And I had no experience with the desert. I'm a sea girl, I'm a pool girl, I'm a golf girl, I'm an Atlantic Pacific Indian Ocean girl. And two days after that was when I went to the doctor and all my you know, 
all my numbers were off and I looked pretty bad. And that's when I made the decision. So the, de the desert saved the swimmer. Isn't that amazing? And thinking that aren't a lot of those countries dry anyway? Yes, and it is dry. Another reason why it's dry land is dry from the desert. And also to drink in the UAE, to drink alcohol, you have to have a license that says you're not a Muslim. Um, and I went to the liquor stores a lot. Of course, they never asked me for my, they just didn't occur to me. Although I do credit Islam for, you know, or God in any form for illuminating my life. I think Islam kind of shined a big light on it because going to these liquor stores, you know, they're, they're blocked out with black paper and tape and you just feel so gross. And you go in there and I'm putting all this liquor in my shopping cart and I was like, this is just, and I left my son in a taxi with a driver. I don't know I'm running in to, you know, get as much alcohol as I can because it's kind of inconvenient to buy it. And just all these things added up to, um, you know, me realizing that I needed to stop. Well, congratulations. It's, um, it's so interesting because when you talked about being pregnant, I, I was the same way. I, I I got pregnant and it was like, oh, I'm a vessel now, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have anything. But then the minute you give birth, it's like, yeah, give me a bottle. You know what? And you know, off to the races we go. Well, actually, that my someone had given us a bottle of champagne to have the night that David was born, and David was born. <laughs> and I said to my husband, "Bring me the champagne," and he said. I don't think this is a good time for champagne because I, you know, I had medicine and all kinds of things. And I was like, super pissed. And then I'm like, wait, that's so weird that all I'm thinking about right now is getting that bottle of champagne. Again, you know, all these things that really started to add up. And then when I looked back on them, I'm like, I just knew, I knew for so long it was a problem, but I just was not willing to give it up. I totally get it. I totally get it. You're not ready till you're ready, are you? You're not ready till you're ready. And that, I certainly know some people that I think might be ready, but I'm not saying anything because it's, you know, nobody can say anything to you until you are ready, until you know this can't go one moment longer. And I think it's really interesting how as human beings, when we identify this thing that's wrong with us, whatever it may be, right? It could be alcohol, it could be food, it could be every, you know, it could be so many different things. And then we acknowledge it, but to change it takes a whole other set of work, work doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it's hard to know which one is harder. Because once you acknowledge it, then you have to do something about it. Or you're just going to be 10 times more miserable than you already are. So for me, I think I often was doing that battle. Like, is, the, is today the day that I admit it and do something about it? And the sooner I do it, then the further away I get from it. But I just wasn't ready until that night in the desert. Then added on by the trip to the doctor who was like, you're going to need to go on blood pressure medicine. You need to lose weight. And I'm like, I know what the real problem is here. Um, and I didn't even say it to the doctor. I just left disgusted with myself. And um, 
then just made this announcement in the car as soon as that album picked me up. Um, but yeah, I think you, you just know that once you articulate the words, then the, then the big work comes. So that makes it hard to articulate the words because then you know what's next. You know, probably DTs are next, support, a lifetime of this, a lifetime of explaining to people, a lifetime of going to parties where people are insensitive about your alcoholism. You know, you just know what you're up against. But what you don't know at that time is it's probably gonna be the best decision of your life. Like it was for me and I think it was for you. But, you know, now I'm sort of like, oh, I should have done it earlier, but thank God I did it when I did. It didn't go one day more. And when you said you, you know, you work on yourself, did you use the 12 steps? I did not. I, I knew about the 12 steps and some people that I didn't know were recovering alcoholics wrote me after my first blog post and had some recommendations that were great. And I felt so supported by them. You know, I was a competitive, highly competitive athlete. And I, I felt like this was going to be a race in my brain instead of Nancy against competitor, Nancy against the water. It was going to be Nancy against Chardonnay and Nancy against vodka. Mm. And I was going to have to outwin them in this race. So it was going to all be in my head. I just, I knew that from day one, that I was going to approach it like a thing to be one. I wouldn't say that that's for everybody, but that was my way of dealing with it. So I would just, you know, I just think I had this image of myself like standing behind the blocks or standing on the blocks and getting for, getting ready for a race with extreme tunnel vision about what it is I had to do. Um, I didn't get on anything during my initial days of recovery, but I just saw the finish line out there and I just focused on that. And then little things helped me to like in, <clears throat> in the UAE, you know, the call to prayer goes out five times a day and night. So anytime the call to prayer came on, it's a beautiful sound. Um, and then they read from the Quran in Arabic. I didn't know what they were saying, but it was like this touchstone for me. Like I've made it five hours. I've made it four more. I've made it. And at midnight or late night when it would go off, it's not midnight, you know, at a time when I would normally be drunk, I could hear the call to prayer. And it just grounded me and like literally grounded me in the desert. And I could make it to the next period of time. So it was how I... I passed the time. And I knew that once I got to some point in time, that the worst of it would be behind me, just like a swimming race. Like when you get to the finish, of course there's not really any finish in the sobriety race, but the hard work is behind you. And I'm like, as soon as I just get some traction, as soon as it's two weeks, as soon as it's a month, the worst is behind me. And that just proved to be the case. And then with every month that passed, I'm like, wow, it's been six months. It's been nine months. It's been a year. Thank God I'm not still drinking, waiting for that first year to happen. Right. I'm ahead of it. I won that year. I won this period of time. Um, and now I honestly don't even keep track of time. Like I'm bad with numbers anyway, but I'm like, is it six coming on six years or coming on seven? But if it was 2014, we're coming on 23. That is 
what is that that eight years it's coming on eight years <laughs> okay i still say six i don't know but it's all i know is it's the worst is behind me and when did you move back to the states 2015 okay so you and then we moved back to the uae in 2018 and i had a great time so do you miss having that, that, those, you know, every day, those, those, you know, the time going on? I, do. I miss that because it's so beautiful. And you know what I miss? So like in the UAE, if you drink, you have to do it underground, right? You have to not like literally underground, but you're behind, you're behind the scenes. In the U.S., if you're sober, you're in a basement talking to people. So it's like the opposite. In the UAE, non-drinkers take up all the space, all the places at the restaurants. So when I go out with my UAE friends, it's literally not on the table. It's, you know, and that's why I'm so sort of weird about going to parties and stuff in the US where it is all on the table. You know, I kind of was easier for me in the UAE as opposed to the USA where you're the odd person out if you don't drink. Right. And when you say you're the odd person out, do you, do you truly, um, you don't believe you're the odd person out today, do you? Oh, no, no. But just in some settings where I know I'm like with a group of people and I'm the only one who doesn't drink, I feel, it's hard to sort of place what I feel. It depends on who the group is. There's some people like my cousin, Nancy, if she drank all night, it wouldn't even bother me. I wouldn't even think about it. But it just depends on the degree of sensitivity of the people I'm hanging around with. Um, and you know, on any given day, I can be annoyed by something and not by another because I'm just a living, breathing human being like everybody else. And some days the amount that people drink, I don't like to be around it. I don't think that's good, bad, and different. That's just me. That helps me stay healthy and happy. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, I recently it was brought to my attention that like we're either comfortable or we're uncomfortable, right? Like there's no in between. It's not like we're half, I'm half comfortable. No, we're either comfortable or we're not comfortable. And it's so, um, for me, like getting sober, and then telling everybody that I was sober gave me a sense of comfort, right? Because then there was yeah. no question, right? Like, don't even right. ask me if I want to drink because it's not even, it's not up for negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that getting to that place when you're comfortable or uncomfortable, I don't think it's as much about everybody else, but it's about us. Like you just said, it's like, how am I feeling in this moment? And if I'm uncomfortable and I think especially the holidays, because we're with the people that know how to get us. True. <laughs> True. Yes. Yeah. 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 I once heard, um, and this is not true of my mother, but I once heard this phrase that your mother knows how to push your buttons because she installed them. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not true for me, but I do think that can be um, a metaphor for being in a room full of drinking people, that can push buttons for, for me sometimes. 
Um, and they didn't install them. I installed my own button with that regard. But I think I live in that gray area of being comfortable some days and not comfortable, depending on who I'm with, what their mindset is. If they're being frivolous about, about alcohol around me, like showing me the wine label, saying, isn't this a great wine label? That's why I bought it, because of the wine label. To me, that's just so insensitive. Like, wh why are you doing that? And that can really, that really turns me off because I really try to be a person on this earth. My work is about being sensitive to the deeds of others. I just don't understand it when someone behaves that way. So I'm almost, it's almost like I'm not mad at the alcohol part. I'm mad at the insensitivity. Um, and people watching this show or listening to it will probably say, Nancy needs to get over that. And I probably do, but I'm just not quite there yet. But that, that came out in the article, you know, just those insensitive moments. And maybe people don't even realize they're doing it, which is also why I thought I need to write that article. Like, no, don't show the label. Don't say to someone, oh, do you mind if I have a drink in front of you? Like, so now you want me to comfort you? Do you want me to say it's okay for you to drink? Aren't you supposed to be saying something nice to me? You know, like, I don't, I don't get it. Our world is all topsy-turvy on so many matters of discourse and sensitivity that it's all messed up. But it truly is. It, there used to be this... Um... We have pleasantry towards others, even if we knew that they believe something different than us, it was totally yes. fine. And it yeah. was like, but I'm still gonna love you, even though we might yes. like somebody different. Right. But I think that this social media where you can put all this stuff up and be hiding behind your screen, then in public, you if you bring it out with you and it's just, there needs to be some, I don't know if we need a, a necessarily Emily Post again, but we need something to that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's and or just it's, taking time to think before you speak. Like, should I really ask Nancy if it's okay if I drink? Like, just take a minute. We all need to just take a minute before we say anything politically, culturally. Just play it out in your brain before it comes out your lips. I did, you know, the article has now had 260 comments on the Washington Post. I stopped reading after comment 10 because someone wrote, well, this author is all about blaming the host. What about her personal responsibility? And I was like, you, don't, you really don't get it. I've taken my personal responsibility. I'm sober for eight years. I don't blame anybody for that. I'm asking that when I go to a, an event, I get the same kindness that someone who is gluten-free might, that's all, you know? But you can see how hot this issue is when someone writes that like, oh, oh, the author should be taking personal responsibility. I've taken the greatest personal responsibility by going sober. I'm not blaming the hosts, I'm making recommendations. People will read what they wanna read, hear what they wanna hear. It's um, complicated. It's, it's, it is complicated. And what it is, is that I believe that, you know, there's so many people that I know, and you probably know as well, that aren't as transparent. I'm going to say with what is going on with them. They just, they're, they, whatever, and I don't want to say they have a lot of shame or they don't have a lot of shame, whatever it is in their lives where they are, they're in this place. They don't want anybody to know. And that's, let's that's say if, And let's also say that you got diagnosed with some thing that you don't want anybody else to know and you're on medication. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're, you can't mix it. It's not a good idea. Right. 
And it's, we have to start talking about these things because if we don't, what is this next generation? Because the, you know, with the fentanyl, and I'm just going to talk about it for a second, the fentanyl epidemic. I mean, I've heard it referred to as global terrorism, which I think it very well may be because 40% of it could kill our entire country. Oh my God. It's a disaster. And it is killing lots of people. Lots of young people. Young people. And it's our youth because I mean, I heard something and read something about how like kids are get, being are able to buy these things on on social media, and they think, oh, it's so important that I get a good grade that I'm just going to score an Adderall pill because I heard it's going to keep me going. And little do they know that it's talked about. It's it, you know, it's got laced with fentanyl and alcohol. You can buy everywhere, right? And if we can't start with this little thing that we can buy at the like here in Florida, we can buy it anywhere, right? We can go. You're at the gap. We can have it delivered. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And if we can't acknowledge that this is a big thing, we need to pay attention. We need to be respectful of our neighbors, of our loved ones, and say, you know what? I'm going to have a, a sparkling water here for everyone. Yeah. 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 It's so true. I just read... And I can't remember the exact number, but alcohol-related deaths in 2021 was up substantially. And it is now the number five killer of Americans. I'm just going to Google that real quick while I'm on here with you and get those exact numbers. Deaths from excessive alcohol in the U.S., more than 140,000 people die every year, um, but it went up um, during the pandemic, which just tells us a lot about our, our need to be with people, um, using alcohol as a panacea for being alone and being sad. Yeah, here it is, let's see. Alcohol death, oh, well, my computer just thought, no. We will not do that. Alcohol death, death spiked among middle-aged adults, especially women during the pandemic. Drinking too much has been increasingly killing Americans for nearly two decades. The pandemic accelerated those deaths. It's a big problem. Oh, during COVID, I knew more people that died from alcohol related deaths than COVID, like people falling down the stairs, hitting their head, right? You know, all these sorts of things that happen in the home and people do need each other. So being locked up in our homes and keeping the liquor store open, but not the church where you can meet your friends or a club or a mosque or a temple, whatever it may be, you know, that you could go be with your fellow friends, that you could decide on your own accord whether or not you wanted to be around people because of COVID or not, right? But you can go to a liquor store. Hmm. Something said by that, you know? Yeah. Well, and then people tried to socialize via Zoom, the the Zoom happy hours. And I was invited to a lot of Zoom Zoom happy hours. And I went to one because I'm, I'm here drinking my water in my coffee cup with you but people will be drinking their beer. So not only am I having to deal with a party situation, which I don't love anyway, I have to actually watch you up close and in person drinking alcohol, 
not just you, but like five other people on the screen. And I was like, I did it once. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not doing that again. And I had, I had a very sweet friend who sent out um, a message to a bunch of us who hadn't got together in a while and said, let's have a Zoom happy hour. And I wrote back and said, can we have a Zoom, Zoom coffee hour? And he was like, oh, of course we can. And then we did. Um, and sometimes, you know, you just, but I was comfortable reminding him and he was great. He's like, yeah, let's do that. So there we were having our coffee and that was fine. Still hard to socialize, not in person, but I, the Man. whole Zoom happy hour was freaking annoying. <laughs> well, I want to say thank you so much for bringing this out, for talking about it, especially before Thanksgiving. Obviously it's getting people talking because there's 266 comments. Um, I noticed some in the beginning and then I stopped reading as well. I was like, yeah. what's, what's worth it? It doesn't really help us either of us by any stretch of imagination and um, keep it up, keep okay. up the tough work and keep in touch with me. I want to keep in touch and let's one time we're going to have to have the West coast of Florida and the East coast of Florida. We have to go meet somewhere in the middle. I would love that. I would love that. And um, you're going to put a link for your book in. So if you guys are listening and you would like to go check out Nancy's book, please look at it in the description on busylivingsober.com. And again, thank you for everything and for being thank so, you. you know, for being so fearless. I'm so grateful that you're so fearless. It's awesome because you are so fearless and I'm so glad I found you. Me too. I'm I have a new friend. I'm so thank you so much nancy and for those that are listening please reach out if you have any questions you want to reach out to nancy i'll forward her the message and um remember you don't have to do this by yourself you can always find a friend to talk to which is the best right that is the best so thanks so much nancy and until next time everybody keep getting busy living sober bye-bye